Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who, much like the protagonist in our subject matter today, was once in a car that nearly crashed because the driver was adjusting their suspenders. The only difference being that in his case, the driver was a six foot four gentleman called Rick. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Oh, very well. So perhaps casting some aspersions of my sexuality there. Uh, but yes. Not at all. I, I just say like a, a mutual friend of ours who wears suspenders <laughs> occasionally. Yes. Um, he was going to the Rocky Horror show. He was. He was. Yeah. And he doesn't listen to this podcast anyway. So we can take the piss out of him as much as we like. How's everything going this week, Greg? All good? Good. Yeah, good. Um, I did a bit of hiking at the weekend. I've been on a bit of a mission because ever since I moved to Dubai, when I lived in Kuwait, I was quite disciplined, mainly because I was forced disciplined because Kuwait is a dry country. So unless you get the occasional invitation to the embassy or you're prepared to risk vision and health by making your own booze, you're sort of aff it by default um, and obviously <laughs> since moving to Dubai after the five years in Kuwait the ability just to go nip down to the shop and buy some booze and go to the pub and everything the novelty took a long time to wear off so as a result like most men of my kind of advancing slowly towards middle age put on a bit of weight so the last couple of months have been looking for ways because I don't like the gym. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of exercise in general, although I appreciate that it's important. Mm. So I've been looking for ways. So I've been swimming. We're lucky enough to have a pool nearby that I can go and use. And uh, we did a hike at the weekend, which started by climbing up a flight of 700 steps that have been built into the side of this mountain. Now, I know I shared my Apple Watch uh, fitness photograph on their little group with you and our friend. You can see my heart rate was pretty high. You you could be forgiven for thinking that it was high because of the exertion. And you'd be right, partly, but also I'm really frightened of heights. And it's like an open staircase mm. with some plateaus in the way up. I don't know if you ever did any hiking when you lived in Dubai. I suspect probably you didn't. But no. it's quite open. So it was. I didn't really think about it until about halfway up. And there's me and my wife and my two daughters and another family who we're friends with. And the kids be... So every time we get to a plateau and I realise how high we are, I get a wee bit of a panic attack mm. combined with the exertion. So And of course the kids are standing right at the edge looking over and stuff. And I'm like irrationally screaming get away from the site kids are like all right calm down so yeah it was i was you know we did five kilometers as our friends supportively pointed out only half as high as ben he yeah, thanks a lot cunt but you know um it was you know five kilometers the kids did really well and um it was a good day we're, we're going to continue doing it i don't know if i would do that one with the 700 steps again because i can the, the exertion i can i can handle but the exposure to being that high up without like walls and glass around me turned me into a bit of a jesse so no you've done it now you don't need to do it again well, exactly. so that one's off that one's ticked off the list move on to the next one indeed what have you been up to since i spoke to you last well Obviously, last time we spoke, I was recovering from illness. That's right, yeah. And, yeah, so the next week was very fun because I passed the illness on to my wife. So 
she was in bed for a week ill, so that was uh, that was fun. Obviously, I was helping to to take care of her, but uh, she's feeling much better now. She's off to Germany for the weekend, so I am living the bachelor lifestyle this weekend. Oh, I've I've been cleaning out my my wardrobe. I've been cleaning out kitchen cupboards today. It's I I, I am living the rock and roll. I, I'm thinking if I can get all these jobs done, then maybe I can sit and play the PlayStation later on in the right. week. But I don't know. We'll we'll wait and see. Probably not going to happen, but. Uh, Anyway. Will you be investing in FIFA and Madden 22? I know that that's a bit of a tradition. I haven't bought them for a while. I think in my head, I haven't really bought anything because it's the PS4. So mm. I'm kind of like, what's the point? What's the point of buying games for it now? So I'll probably just play Tony Hawk's or even get the old SNES out, maybe play some WWF games on that or something. But no, I, I used to always buy FIFA and Madden and sometimes NHL, but no, I'll wait until I get a PS5. Here's a question about both those franchises, because I've never really been one for sort of sporty games. Mm. Obviously, they've both been going for a really long time. I think the first FIFA came out in the Mega Drive, so that shows you how long. I think Madden as well. I know they're both electronics arts uh, franchises. Mm -hmm. So over the years, I'm sure they've got... There's been more features added. Obviously, the the graphics have got better. The animation has got better. You've been able to do more. Is there not like a sort of glass ceiling for both of those games where you can pretty much do everything? There's like there's there's only so much mm. you can do playing a sports game on a console, right? Yeah, I, I think it's more about each year they'll kind of advance and it's like even more realistic. But right. for me, in a way, it kind of takes the fun out of it. I would say the midway point was when it was the most fun. Right. So probably the first FIFA on the Mega Drive, you know, was great. But maybe let's go to maybe like 98, 99 or something. That's probably when it was at its peak. Because it was still, it's like anything. It's now, it's it's overcomplicated, I think. Right. Like you can do so many things. And it, it's almost like you're playing Street Fighter 2, you know, in order to having to do like a pirouette, you need to... I put in a do some sort combination of, of button pushes and things. Yeah. yeah, and I don't want to do that. Just, just give me pass, shoot, tackle. You know, it does take the fun out. There, there used to be a version. I think it was maybe ninety eight, and you could dive, and right. it was great in FIFA. But you could actually like dive in the box, get penalties and stuff. It was fantastic. But then they they got rid of that. Don't know why. Never mind. I guess because it was cheating. Yeah, maybe 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 some parents were concerned that it was encouraging bad sportsmanship among young budding footballers so it really worked yeah, but <laughs> it really worked because right? <laughs> nobody ever dives in football anymore i think a lot of it nowadays is linked to online play as well because of course people will get the new version so you don't want to be the one that's left behind and right. nobody's playing fifa 20 anymore yeah, online right, so okay. you have to get the latest version so you can play on that and i guess they probably don't update the kind of squads and rosters anymore once the new version comes out they don't bother with the old one so i can imagine that's the reason that they manage to produce the same tat every year and sell it in the millions so on that i mean i guess as we finish uh, basically accusing electronic arts of a cynical cash grab every year. Perhaps we should move on to the news. Let's have a look at the news. Cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, uh, we didn't even discuss the news. Normally in our little pre-production meeting we have before the show, we discuss so we don't have any news items. But you know what? I'm feeling frisky today. Okay. Let's just go on the fly. And if you steal one of my news stories, so be it. Okay. Then 
it's fine. Okay, so what have you seen in the news this week in Scotland that has caught your eye? Well, my first story uh, involves a man who came up with an unusual excuse for not taking a breathalyzer test when stopped by the police. So this came from uh, the Scottish Sun on the 4th of November. A former lorry driver refused to do a breathalyzer test because... He was ginger. Kenneth McDickens. <laughs> what? Kenneth McDickens, 50, was traced by the police on March the 12th of this year. He had been reported after crashing into bollards outside of a property in Glasgow. The driver initially refused the breath test at the scene before being brought into police custody. McDickens was asked for a second time and failed to comply, stating, Because I'm ginger. McDickens pled guilty at Glasgow Sheriff Court to failing to provide two breath specimens for analysis. The court heard the driver, who has short black hair, was behind the wheel at 10.55pm. <laughs> Prosecutor Sean Doherty said a witness heard a loud bang outside her property and looked outside. She saw a vehicle had crashed into Bollard and saw a man leaving before contacting the police. McDickens was traced to his home 30 minutes later where he was deemed to be under the influence of alcohol. He was arrested and asked to provide a sample of breath which he failed to do so without reason. McDickens was then taken to the city's Helen Street Police Office. Mr Doherty added, he was asked again to provide two samples of breath for analysis but refused to do so. He said his reason was because I'm ginger. McDickens was arrested and in reply to his caution and charge he stated, I'm a scumbag. Tracy Patterson defended told the court that McDickens believes he is lucky no one was injured as a result of the incident, so showing contrition. The lawyer added his employer's city building have accommodated him through these offences. He could return to his, em- to his employment and he could go back to lorry driving. And that's what he did for most of the time working at his employment. He's got off so easily here. Sheriff Valerie Mays fined McDickens of the city's Pollock, £585 and disqualified him from driving for 16 months. She said, this does seem out of character for you. So quite a novel uh, way of evading justice there. I'm sure you'll agree. So he's got short black hair, yeah. but he said that he couldn't take a breathalyzer test because he's ginger. <laughs> That's exactly what happened, according to the Scottish Sun. How does does being ginger stop you from taking a breathalyzer test? It's what logic is going through his mind there? I mean, obviously he was pished. I, was so. say, I think just a number of pints had replaced the logic in his mind when he came up with that excuse. But the police officer saw straight through him. I, well, because of his complexion, because he's ginger, I guess. He's, they're quite pasty. <laughs> of all the things you can come up with, you could say, I've, I'm asthmatic, I've got long COVID, I have some sort of blood disorder, so I can't give breath tests, but <laughs> I'm ginger. <laughs> when, I, when I first saw the story and I started reading it, before I get into the detail, I sort of had a vision of a guy who had dyed his ginger hair black. So it would be like sort of black hair, like but dyed dodgy oh, yeah. black hair. But then sort of uh, auburn or ginger eyebrows and perhaps like a sort of ginger stubble or beard. Uh, you know, I didn't expect him to be like entirely not ginger. You can never get it quite right though, because I went to school with a guy who, he was very ginger and he dyed his hair uh, like kind of black. Right. But And he did the eyebrows as well. <laughs> right. But, it never looked quite right, you know? The the hair you could maybe get away with, but the eyebrows just didn't look right. And then, of course, you can't do anything about the eyelashes either. So he had, like, these kind of ginger eyelashes, these patchy brown 
orangey eyebrows and black hair. Never grew a beard or facial hair. I mean, well, we were yeah, yeah. 16, 17 at school anyway, so nobody was really doing that. But yeah. The other problem with uh, ginger guys in particular trying to disguise their hair colour is that more often than not, they are covered in freckles, but sort of like orangey yep. freckles, you know? Um, I used to go out with a girl who reckoned that every Scottish guy, if he let his beard grow long enough, it would start to turn it would start to turn ginger. You ever heard that? Yeah, I, th- I think I might have heard that somewhere. I, I don't think that's true, I don't though. think that's true um, at all. I can't see it. I mean, I've got a... How long? I've got a decent bit of growth at the moment, and it, there's no ginger. There's plenty of grey, but there's no ginger in my beard. Yeah, definitely. Not that there's anything wrong with that, of course. We're not for any of our uh, ginger listeners. Yeah. We're not having a go or anything at that. Be proud of it. Rock it. Yeah. I think it's a yeah good thing, and it gets you out of breathalyzer tests as well. Apparently. Well, clearly. That's a great excuse. I love it. So that's my first um, story this week. What have you got? your first story. I have got a story from the Daily Record this week and you know what it's like Greg when you've had a night out and you're hungry and you want something to eat but you can't find anywhere open yeah you get quite annoyed although I never really had that there's always takeaways and stuff open. Anyway uh, this story as I say is from the Daily Record and it's about a Scot who booted in the glass door of a Greg's bakery at 1.45am told cops that he was just desperate for a sausage roll. Matthew Devlin smashed the door of the closed outlet on Edinburgh's South Clerk Street and then two hours later he went to the police station to admit that he was responsible for the damage. So he booted the door in and then obviously legged it and then two hours later he goes and turns himself in. Uh, So he told the cops that it was his urgent need for a sausage roll that prompted his actions. The painter and decorator was swiftly arrested. He appeared in the city sheriff court on Monday after previously admitting a charge willfully damaging the bakery's door on the 18th of August. His solicitor said that the accused attended the police station at 3.35am and admitted he had vandalised a Greg's. He told officers he had kicked and smashed the door because he wanted a sausage roll. He was arrested on the spot of suspicion of vandalism. He was also in court appearing on a charge of possessing a knife in public on the 4th of March. Uh, It's said that on the 4th of March, officers had approached Devlin, who was heavily intoxicated, and they found a a small kitchen knife with a three-inch blade in his trouser pocket. When asked about this, he said it was for chopping cauliflower. (laughs) Uh, he He said that he'd been cooking with a friend, And he went out to get some more beer and he forgot that he had the knife on him. Uh, Devlin was sentenced to a 67-day restriction of liberty order and he's banned from leaving his home uh, between 9pm and 7am for that period. Yeah, I I should say when he nipped out to get more beer after he'd been chopping cauliflower, it was uh, 12.10am. So I don't think he was going to be able to get beer anywhere at that time. And I don't know why he was chopping cauliflower at that time in the morning. I mean... If he likes cooking at that time, why didn't he go and chop some cauliflower rather than boot the door of a Gregson? I mean, have you ever been so desperate for... <laughs> How's he... Like, the shop's closed. Even if he's booted the door in, I don't know. Do they leave sausage rolls lying around? I presume everything's cleaned away. I suspect they don't leave any food in there <laughs> overnight. Because <laughs> all, the, all, the, all the stuff they make has got a fairly short shelf life. But why would you do that? And then, do you think he's done that and then gone home and then thought, ah, oh, shit, I feel a bit bad about that. I better go and... <laughs> 
hand myself in to the cops. Surely you're going to get away with it if no one's caught you. At the same time, forgetting that he's he's in charge of being caught in possession of a small kitchen knife <laughs> as well. <laughs> it could be. Maybe he did think, oh shit, I'm already up on that charge for the cauliflower knife. So maybe I should go and hand myself in and this will make things a bit easier. What a fucking donut. I, I, yeah, and of course, maybe he wanted a donut as well from Greg's. Uh, yeah. I've never been so desperate for a sausage roll that I've thought to kick in the door of somewhere. You just go and... It's, it's Edinburgh. There'd be plenty of places open, surely. Especially just after midnight. Plenty of kebaberies and yeah. all-night bakeries and chippers and stuff open. It's not like it was like four o'clock in the morning or something. I could understand if it was, but yeah. It was at a reasonable time. Surely something was open that he could have uh, gone and gotten a takeaway from. But he was just obviously so desperate for a Greg sausage roll. <laughs> you know, when you get in your head, you're like, I really yeah. want something, but you can't have it. Nothing else will do. You just kind of make do, don't you? Well, what's the alternative? <laughs> kind of kicking in a closed baker's door. I mean, I do think that Greg's are maybe missing a bit of a trick, not putting like a night shift on, you know? When you think about how popular the bakeries were in Aberdeen that opened at like two in the morning after the club shut. Yeah, hugely. And you're right, actually. I think there would be a, a big demand for that of people. I mean, it's maybe not worth the hassle. <laughs> um, if you think about like McDonald's and Burger King, for example, they've usually got to hire security uh, staff when they're open late at night. Is it worth the, the <laughs> overhead costs of Greg's to, to do that? Is it worth just the general hassle? I mean, if you think about the amount of... I mean, the, the bakery that we used to go to, like, he didn't get any abuse. Everyone loved the guy yeah. there, but... It was revered. He did, he did put up with a fair bit of shit, I think, you know, in terms of drunken people. I, I think he did have, like, a plaque on his wall, didn't he? Like, saying that he was a pie master or something. And we <laughs> did used to ask him, like, what does it take to be a pie master? What do you have to do? If you'd asked that probably 20 times a night, you're going to get a bit pissed off with drunken arseholes. It was the Chapel Street Bakery where I, where I learned there was such a thing as National Pie Week. And... The perhaps <laughs> one of the best sort of um, catchphrases or taglines in in food and that's "ci to a pie." I mean, it's perfect. That's oh, beautiful. I mean, that that's yeah. The person that came up with that is an absolute genius, and I hope he was justly yeah. rewarded for his uh, creativity. <laughs> Um, Okay, what else have you seen this week, Greg? Well, there seems to be a bit of a theme this week of people, kind of petty criminals making regrettable choices. Okay, so my second story, uh, again, comes from the Scottish Sun. It was on the 3rd of November. The headline reads, Dopey drug dealer caught after hitching lift from Scots cops with £140,000 worth of cannabis in his suitcase. (laughs) Did you see this one? (laughs) I did see this, yeah. But. So this is uh, Jesse Winsborough. He crashed his car in blizzard conditions and was found traipsing two suitcases alongside the A9 when officers stopped to offer him a lift to the train station. But the cops noticed an overwhelming stench of cannabis as they loaded the cases into the boot and so decided to carry out a search. Perth Sheriff Court heard how the stunned officers discovered about 14 kilos of cannabis with a potential street value of £140,000 when they opened the luggage. Winsborough, 30 years old, was part of a county lines drug trafficking scheme and admitted being concerned in the supply of cannabis on a journey between London and Perthshire on January the 27th and the 28th last year. Uh, Fiscal Deputy Michael Sweeney told the court, At the time of this incident it was snowing heavily. 
At about 11.40pm, a witness and his wife were travelling northbound when they overtook a white motor vehicle. He noticed that the front near side headlamp of the car was out and there was an obvious there was obvious accident damage to the front. A short time later, the same vehicle came up behind them in the snow before performing an overtaking manoeuvre. It carried on for a short distance, but lost control in the snow, striking a verge before coming to rest on its roof. Mr Sweeney said the motorist stopped the car and phoned the police before walking over to speak to the occupants of the car. Winsborough with, was with his former co-accused Jade Lawler. He saw the accused in Mrs. Lawler's in Ms. Lawler, sorry, standing next to the vehicle. He told them that he had contacted the police. They immediately queried why he had done this, despite the car being on its roof <laughs> in a fucking snowdrift. <laughs> the accused became annoyed, and fearing for his safety, the witness returned to his vehicle. He observed both the accused and Ms. Lawler walking off. Police officers arrived at the crash scene shortly after midnight and saw the Citroen car on its roof at the side of the carriageway. The boot was lying open and there was no one inside or near the vehicle, Mr. Sweeney said, before adding that the couple were traced nearly an hour later. The officers stopped and spoke to the accused and Ms. Lawler. They were walking away, pulling two large suitcases. They confirmed that they'd been involved in an accident and they were waiting for someone to pick them up. Due to them being stranded on the A9, they were told they would be taken somewhere safe where they could arrange for a lift. They then agreed to be dropped off at Glen Eagles Railway Station to continue their journey. Police placed the suitcases inside the vehicle, and at this point they noticed a strong smell of cannabis. Mr Sweeney said the cases were locked, and the couple said they did not know the combination for the padlocks. Self-employed flooring worker Winsborough from Walton Forest in London pleaded guilty to the charge in his absence, and Miss Lawler's not guilty plea was accepted by the Crown. The court was told that when the cases were finally opened, they were found to be stuffed through the vacuum-packed herbal cannabis. Winsborough, who lives with his mother, <laughs> has previous convictions for possession of cocaine, cannabis and ecstasy. Sheriff George Way deferred sentence for background reports and for Winsborough to appear personally. The car's on his roof. It's okay, we'll phone the police. Which do that for? <laughs> I mean, that's got to be bad luck as well, just the, the police stopping you and asking if you're wanting a lift. You can't refuse and say no, but obviously you've got to be shitting yourself thinking, <laughs> oh, fuck. Well, <laughs> Two suitcases full of weed. Oh, no, this isn't going to end well. No, no, it's fine. I'll just walk. No, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Why on earth have you phoned the police? I mean, these uh, French cars, clearly not designed for uh, Scottish winters either. So that that was his first mistake, really. What, driving a French car in Scotland? In, in the bad weather. <laughs> yeah, in the snow. So if you're a drug dealer listening to the podcast and you're planning a county lines drug supply test, perhaps buy a more suitable weather, what's the word, weatherproof car for driving into Scotland in January. Right, so you, you're saying that effectively drug dealers should be driving like Land Rovers or a big 4x4. In, in my experience, only farmers, rich mothers and drug dealers drive Land Rovers anyway. <laughs> and and members of the, the, G, the JJE, of course, from a couple of episodes of ago. Of course. Yeah. Oh, that's unlucky. That is very unlucky. But uh, yeah, quite a haul for the police there. Yeah. If there's uh, two suitcases full of it. Wow. Like the two police officers that picked them up, they help them into the car, putting the cases in the boot, and they get that because, like, you know, it's a this is very distinctive, often strong smell cannabis. Yeah, <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah. I bet they had a good laugh when they were by themselves later on. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Anyway, what's your second story this week? Okay, this is from the Scottish Sun from yesterday, uh, the 6th of November. And the headline is Rata Nightmare. And it's about a Scots mum who kept 37 rats in her bedroom and kissed them has somehow been hospitalised with a rare disease. (laughs) Probably comes as no surprise. Uh, It's reported that the Glasgow teacher sparked an international health alert after a visit to the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital following five days of fever, diarrhoea and vomiting. The 51-year-old arrived at the Govan Super Hospital with blood-soaked stores in her face, a high temperature and blood in her urine. The incident left medical boffins puzzled until it emerged that she kept scores of rats in her bedroom. The patient and her daughter reported that they had been kissing the rats. So this uh, woman is a mum of three and she purchased four rats from a local breeder uh, a couple of months uh, before catching this virus. In the space of three months, these rats had multiplied to 37 newborn vermin. The woman was given medication, but within 48 hours, she developed an acute kidney injury. Uh, She was tested for, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce this, let's just say, is it leptrosis? Um, a, A conduction contracted from rat urine along with rat bite fever but both tests came back negative Uh, her samples were rushed to a top secret lab near Salisbury uh, the same testing centre that examined the Novichek nerve agent used to target the former Russian agents in 2018 so yeah uh, the results found that the woman had contracted sole hantatavirus which is a rare disease which was first identified in soldiers during the Korean War in the 1950s Fifties. Right. So uh, yeah, this woman has a, that's a bastard. You got four rats, and then all of a sudden, you, a couple of months later, you've got thirty-seven of them. Yeah, but it's not a problem that's difficult to solve. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, it's not at all. Um, uh, now, the reason I, I did use this story. Did you not used to have a or go out with a girl that had a rat or something? Yeah, I did. Uh, we, her and I, shared custody of a rat. I was in the, I was in the, I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be a pet shop near the top of um, King Street in Aberdeen, not far from the Archibald Simpson. You may, you may have probably drove past a bit a million times. I, I remember that shop. Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. I had been dispatched there um, by uh, my ex-girlfriend to get some, some bits and bobs for her cats. And when I was in there, I noticed that you had some live animals like for sale and stuff. And there was this rat that was, I kind of, you know, it was quite interested in me. And I was sort of scratching the, her little nose. And the guy that owned the shop said that she was free to a good home because this girl had, this student girl had bought her from him. And then I think her landlord had said, that she wasn't allowed to have it, so she brought it back to the shop. So basically, I got her for nothing. But she was, I, I, you know, I, I never kissed her, but I would let her like sit on my shoulder, like under my t-shirt and stuff. She was quite affectionate for a rodent. But yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a pet like that again. Uh, so what do you do with the rat? You keep it in a cage, yeah, obviously. Need, I mean, you don't just leave it to roam around the house, do you? No, they need, but they need, they need quite a big cage. Because obviously they're quite big rodents, and they need they need room to be rats in, and then we cookie. Hmm. We we had a ball that we used to put cookie in, and she used to run around the flat and stuff to get a bit of exercise. But uh, a lot of people say rats make good pets. I don't think that things they I th- the only animals I think make good pets are cats and dogs. And to be honest, the fucking jury is out on cats <laughs> anyway. Because there's a we've had a whole the whole 
nightmare with one of our cats these this last couple of weeks basically without going into too much detail waging a campaign of terror around their neighborhood to the point that apparently there's a facebook group that we're not on for our neighborhood where he is like notorious photographs of him fucking shitting in people's gardens and attacking their cats so we've, we've had to keep him in and it's been a nightmare but you know, I will, I will, I'm going to revise my statement. The only good, the only animals that make good pets are dogs. That's it. Dogs are, you know, dogs are loyal. If you if you if you look after your dog, and you're nice to your dog. You'll get it all back in love and affection. Mm. Rewarding pets. People that keep like tarantulas and lizards and stuff like and snakes. They're not supposed to be pets. Why? You know, they're not supposed. They, they should either be in the wild or in the zoo. That's all I'm saying. I don't want to get into it. But that's all I'm saying. I feel strongly. <laughs> I feel strongly about it. Okay. I know. That's fine. I completely understand. So okay. Fucking sick. Well, I hope this woman gets better soon. Fucking serves her right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got to think. I mean, four is a lot anyway, but as soon as they start multiplying, yeah. surely she's thinking, this is maybe getting a little bit out of hand here. Yeah. <laughs> Might need to start doing something about this. Anyway, never mind. Have you seen anything else? I've only got one other very short story that I thought you and your listeners would get a laugh about. So, obviously, the uh, COP26 is currently underway in Glasgow at the moment. The world's eyes are on uh, are on uh, Britain's second city. Somebody travelling from, uh, I think, Cardiff, it said, up to... You know, from London to Glasgow, has amused fellow train passengers because he's basically got a mini draft beer kit uh, and he's pour- <laughs> and is pouring himself pints of Stella <laughs> at his table. I said the man was spotted enjoying pints from his own personal beer tap with pals yesterday as they made the journey north. There's a photograph which I'm going to put on the on their Instagram page. Um, the guy who has taken the picture and given the story to the son, his name is Clem Cowton, and he was travelling to Scotland for the COP26 climate summit when she was left highly amused by the antics of her fellow passengers. The photo shows the mystery man sitting on the train across from his friend with a beer machine perched on the table behind them. There's also a full pint of lager sitting on the table, freshly poured from the tap. Uh, another oh, image legend. I know, another image shows the man's friend pulling a pint from the keg machine during their journey. Uh, so the picture's gone viral, so our listeners may have already seen it, but I'll pop it on the Instagram page for overseas listeners. For me, this guy's a genius because I like a few beers on the train, but the problem is that if you buy, say, between four and six beers for the journey, say, from Glasgow to Aberdeen, which is one that I know you and I have done many times. You've only got the first couple will be cold, but by the time you get into like beer three, four, five, and six, they're going to be a wee bit tepid, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think this guy could be onto something. And I'm interested to know where he got his uh, stuff from. By the time you're on to beer five or six, do you really care? Maybe think of the time that you, me, and our mutual friend who doesn't listen to the podcast uh, made the journey from Glasgow to Aberdeen and we were playing shithead. And having a few beers, and I think you and I, mm. you and I were sort of conspiring to make sure that you lost every time. We were sitting next to a couple of just random girl, maybe even just like one random girl actually. We just happened to be sharing, That's right. sharing I remember. table with. He was getting all frustrated and embarrassed because if I remember right, the girl was quite pretty, and he had been sort of yeah. he had been kind of laying the chat on beforehand to try and get a laugh out of her and you know charm her and stuff. And uh, you and I started making a cunt of him by making him lose his shithead. That's right. Right, I forgot all about that. I totally remember that now. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Oh, yeah. Ah, fun times. Ah, very good. Perfect. Okay, uh, right before we move on, let's have a little word from our sponsor. 
must be something dreadful I'm down here but the pub is up there And the once a pines are tarts and special Hello there and yes I'd love to come in But my mind's on something more delectable I'm just about there soon I declare I'll have that pines of tarts and special When you've got a thirst, you've got to think positive Aye, that's a tap special effect for you. Okay, so it was your choice for this episode, Nicky. Why don't you introduce this week's subject? Thank you very much, Greg. Uh, yeah, so it was my choice. So I would like to have a look at the 1996 four-part BBC Scotland miniseries, The Crow Road. Uh, the Crow Road is based on the 1992 novel by Ian Banks and is directed by Gavin Miller. Uh, it's got an all-star cast, including Joseph McFadden, Peter Capaldi, Bill Patterson, Valerie Edmond, Dougray Scott, Paul Young, Alex Norton, and Steve McCall. Oh, and of course, Super Gran as well. The story follows young student Prentice McHone, who becomes obsessed with solving the disappearance of his uncle Rory eight years previously. Along the way, he must cope with estrangement from his father, unrequited love, and sibling rivalry, all whilst keeping up with his studies. So, Greg, The Crow Road, you'd seen this before, had you? And you'd read the book as well previously. Or what are your first experiences and memories of The Crow Road? Well, I had read the book. I had, By sheer coincidence, the, I read the book. I just finished the book maybe about only a couple of weeks before the TV show started in the BBC. So I remember it was a bit weird, the fact that I had initially just finished and really enjoyed the book, by the way. And oh. then it seemed like really shortly afterwards the BBC were advertising it on the TV. <laughs> I couldn't quite believe it. I remember being surprised as surprised as to how closely the TV show follows the book. You know, I, I don't think there's a great mm. deal in the book that doesn't make it onto the screen. Um, but I really enjoyed it, and I, I'm not. I don't think I've watched it since it was on the TV 25 years ago. Mm. Uh, I, you know, so and you know. Seen we 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 watched uh, Joseph McFadden when we did the Small Faces episode last year, which I guess he yeah. had done Small Faces probably round about the same time, maybe just before he filmed this. Mm-hmm. So, but seeing people like Ed, a kind of young Dougie Scott, even even Peter Capaldi, who I guess has been on the TV the most of late um, for his running Doctor Who turns up in the new um, Suicide Squad film as well but he looks yeah. really he looks really young watching the crew back uh, for the Culture Swally kind of took me right back to 1996 it was the year that yeah. I finished school I turned 18 in 1996 and the world was opening up to me so yeah it brought back a lot of um, a lot of memories how about you? Yeah I had read the book I think it, it was one of those books that kind of did the rounds at school in terms of, I think it was this and the Wasp Factory um, and like A Clockwork Orange around about this time. Uh, so I think I'd read the book maybe about 95, maybe early 96. I do remember watching the TV series when it came out, but I, I genuinely think it was one of those things that I was probably playing Championship Manager at the same time as watching <laughs> it. So I don't think I was fully paying attention to it. So I think watching it this time for the Swally was, it was almost like watching it kind of for the first time, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I had reread the book just two weeks ago when mm. I was on my deathbed. Right. And so coming straight in from reading the book again, 
to watching the TV series. Same as you, I was very impressed at actually how much it does stick to the book and in terms of it, it fits in a lot. There are quite a few things that don't sit right with me in terms of the book, um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the way they've been adapted, uh, which we will come on to. So there are quite a few differences, but I think they were kind of needed for the TV show as well. Yeah. I, I think it's it's a lot easier to put things in a book. And, you know, the book, it, it jumps around a lot in terms of the, the time. So you'll have flashbacks and then you'll have like flashbacks within flashbacks in yeah. the book. And they do that in the TV show as well. And I think it does work. I don't think the viewer would get confused necessarily. It's quite well explained and, and quite good. But yeah, I, I think it's a very good adaptation. I think the cast are incredible in terms of, you know, Joe McFadden, as I say, as you mentioned, we discussed him on Small Faces and, you know, he's very good. Um, I, I was quite surprised, Dugray Scott, you know, this is the his first appearance in the Swally. Um, mm. I, I was sure he'd been in something before, but if I checked back on the Swally tally and no, this is his debut. Um, he's he's very good. He kind of reminds me of a way in uh, Gerard Butler in Young Person's Guide to Becoming a Rockstar in terms of kind of a similar tone. I don't know, just a little bit, um, just was kind of stuck in my head. Yeah. But the the elder cast, of course, of, you know, Bill Patterson and, and Paul Young and uh, David Robb, and of course, a, a, a small appearance from Alex Norton as well is, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. They, they, it's really a really strong cast. Now, watching Dougray Scott in this, I don't think he's very good in The Crow Road, if I'm being honest. And I think he, where is at his worst? And maybe maybe it's unfair. Maybe it's not his fault. But when obviously in the story, Dougray Scott plays uh, Lewis McCone, Joe McFadden, his parents McCone, he plays his older brother. When you see him mm. doing his stand-up stuff, I mean, he is fucking shite, right? The stand-up. <laughs> the stand-up is absolutely appalling. I don't know if maybe it's dated, and maybe that's what stand-up was like in the UK in the mid-90s, and maybe I'm just looking at it through rose-tinted glasses, or if it's by design and he's supposed to be a bit shite and it's a bit of a mystery how he's doing so well and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't think that... I mean, he just... I don't think that Lewis is supposed to be necessarily a dislikable character. I don't think that he's... Mm. Written, I don't. I mean, it's been years since I read the book. I didn't have time really to read the book as well as watch the TV show for the podcast. I don't remember him being particularly unsympathetic. It was more just a, a, a sort of mirror for Prentice's jealousy. As, you know, obviously he goes off with Verity, the object of um, Prentice's desires. But I don't know. The, the, the only scene that I really enjoyed him in is the scene when Prentice and Lewis are digging the grave um, for Kenneth on the grounds and they have a bit of a moment and they have a bit of a laugh. But yeah, I mean, mm. I, the, the rest of the time I could I could have done without Dougie Scott <laughs> and, I, you know, and that character. Yeah, I think in the, the book he is. I'd say the kind of main difference is that in the TV series, Prentice does confide in Lewis effectively about his love for Verity. And he's he's very vocal about it. In the book, not so much. So that's why when Lewis ends up with Verity, it's kind of a it's almost like a well, I didn't know. Like mm. you never said type thing. Whereas in the in the TV series, he makes it abundantly clear. Yeah. And that's the other difference. And the other part I kind of didn't like about the TV show is the relationship that Prentice has with Verity. Yeah. In terms of the book, it's very much, uh, he doesn't really talk to her. 
uh-huh. as such. He just admires her from afar. Whereas in the TV show, they, they actually have quite a really close relationship in a way. And when she comes to pick him up to take him to home for Hogmanay, in the book, it's it's not that. It, it's Lewis that is that comes and gets him and says that Verity's driving does yeah. d- does he want to come with them? But they obviously paint it in a very different way in the TV so- series that it's it's Verity that kind of invites him and, and comes and then she does that whole thing of going into his flat and showing off in front of the lads. And yeah, yeah that, that kind of, I didn't like that aspect of the TV series because it kind of took a bit away. But yeah, I can see what you mean about Lewis. He's, yeah, his stand-up is shite. And I didn't appreciate at the start when he says they you know, could be supporting Lee and Herring. And I think Prentice says that they're crap. And I'm like, excuse me. I was a, I was a big fan of Lee and Herring back yeah. in the day. I mean, I still am. Stuart Lee still fantastic, and I, I listen to Richard Herring's podcast every week. But yeah, I went to see Lee and Herring live around about this time. I would think I saw them at HMT yeah. um, and uh, the Fist of Fun tour. Uh, See, so yeah, I didn't appreciate that. You'll never make it as a, a stand-up. No, definitely not. Uh, okay, well, let's do Grace Scott out the way. Uh, <laughs> so, in terms of Joseph McFadden. As, as Prentice. I think he does a very good job of portraying the character. Um, yeah. He's a young adult. He kind of, he means well, but he's self-obsessed. He's irritating little cunt, but he's quite likable. He's kind of an everybody's obsessed with this girl, but he can't see that there's actually a better girl kind of under his nose. Yeah. And who's not his I think it's a very good depiction. <laughs> well, this is the, <laughs> the other thing that I would have an issue with. Now, whilst I was watching this, it came to me, Prentice in this is a lot like Luke Skywalker (laughs) because he has an estranged relationship with his father. Mm -hmm. He's in love with a relative. (laughs) Yes. In a way. He sees his his uncle as a... I know Ben isn't Luke's uncle, but he he sees kind of an uncle figure as Mm -hmm. a vision stroke ghost giving him advice yeah and he's a fucking wet blanket at the end of the day but he saves the day so i drew a lot of parallels between luke skywalker and prentice mccone so does that make hamish like yoda kind of you know something i never thought of that (laughs) but that is absolute genius yes just a a little man that just babbles shite in the corner yeah Hamish is like Yoda. That's genius. Yeah. Never thought about that. We sort of touched a bit on Joe McFadden when we did, on on his career, when we did um, uh, Small Faces. Now, think about it, right? In the mid-90s, Joe McFadden, so he's, when I looked looked him up on uh, Wikipedia, he's born in 1975, right? So he's three years older than me that would have made him, say, 20, 21 when he recorded the Crow, when he filmed The Crow Road. Very good looking Mm -hmm. guy, right? He's a good actor, you know. With Prentice, I think he, I think he understands the character of Prentice in this sort of yeah. full of sort of existential dilemmas, looking for a bit of meaning, trying to, you know, all at the same time trying to unravel this sort of fragmented mystery of the disappearance of his uncle and everything. You would think that, you know, we think about sort of Hugh McGregor's career. So I guess he was a little bit ahead of Joseph McFadden at this time because he had made uh, Shallow Grave. He'd made Train Spotting. He'd also made a couple of mm. other films like Blue Juice, you know, with, uh, I think, Lee, Lee, well, Lee Herring actually spoke about it with, um, sorry, Richard Herring spoke about it with Adam and Joe in his podcast the other week, Blue mm. Juice. I think Joe Cornish mm-hmm. was a runner on it. You know, you would think that, that like, you know, they, they, those two would form the kind of nucleus of almost a kind of Scottish brat pack. You've got Kevin McKidd 
another good looking guy, yeah. another good a good actor, handsome guy. Robert Carlyle, obviously at the time, I know he's a wee bit older than those other guys. Maybe Ewan Bremner. Don't know. Ewan Bremner is a bit hit and miss, I think, with the things that he appears in, you know. But you'd have thought that they all those guys would have been like just kind of poised to go on to do some great stuff, Hollywood, etc. Mm. Ewan McGregor's really the only one. So do you think it's because Ewan McGregor got the young Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars that his career has become what it is? Regardless of what we think of how well he played the part or not, obviously a massive part to get for a young actor. Whereas the other guys, it's been sort of TV stuff, it's been a longer road to you know what do you think yeah probably if you look at Ewan McGregor's career it was very much as you say shallow grave train spotting a life less ordinary yeah three Danny Boyle vehicles Mm -hmm. he had done a few other things like I think Brassed Off and maybe a a couple of other things prior to that. He did uh, Lipstick on My Collar, Dennis Potter TV oh, show, yeah. I think, didn't he? That was one of his of first course. ones that he did. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, getting the, the Star Wars gig absolutely yeah. Just excel- catapulted him Accelerated him away from the other guys, maybe. And I don't necessarily think it's maybe... Maybe it is his his performance as such, but it's maybe just getting into that area and in the right circles if that makes sense. Because, I mean, hey, it didn't do Hayden Christensen any good doing no. the, the Star Wars prequels yeah, as such. I mean, you could, argue, you could argue it did, you know, Natalie Portman and Ewan McGregor are probably the best out of the those um, the films, but I guess they are talented actors. But I think it is, yeah, just about getting into those right circles. I mean, if you think about it, uh, Ewan McGregor was probably hanging out with Liam Neeson and yeah. Samuel L. Jackson every day. So... Is they're they're going to have some connections. Do you think maybe Joseph McFadden is maybe a wee bit too Scottish? Maybe do you think that maybe that do you think maybe that's it? Um, I think maybe where he maybe comes a cropper is in terms of Ewan McGregor did so well in terms of train spotting, and he showed that he can play a kind of scummy, yeah. dirty kind of role. He it's can got range, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He does. I mean, you know, in, in Shallow Grave, he plays a completely different character, but still very much Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Joseph McFadden's maybe too much of a pretty boy. And for the, if you think about the, the kind of late 90s era, you're maybe looking for more of a, a rougher kind of, you know, mm-hmm. Scottish guy. He's. I do think Joseph McFadden is a very good actor, but would I believe him as a romantic lead, for example? Like, the only thing I could maybe think of him would be like, I, I don't know, I, I know I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but like John Hanna in Sliding Doors. That's possibly the kind of role you could maybe see Joseph McFadden in. Yeah. But is he too wee and boyish, you know, boyish good looks? He's never going to be an action star or no. anything like that. I don't know, is he, does he have the chops to do like a serious drama as such? I think he won Strictly Come Dancing. One year, I'm not sure what yeah, year. It's not any time. Yeah. So it's, it's strange. I think it was 2017. Yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, he's he's sort of avoided falling into the kind of River City, not trap, but you know, I think I, I don't want to say trap because mm. you know, it's a, that's, I think River City gets a bit of a hard time sometimes. But um, his uh, co-star Ian um, in um, Small Faces is a regular in River mm. City, you know, and he he looks older <laughs> than. Uh, the Joe, Mc, Joe McFadden still looks pretty much the same as he looks in um, the Crow Road. To be fair, he's not he's not really aged that much. So yeah, just I just yeah. expected. I just kind of thought when he was doing um, the Crow Road that he was about to you know go on to movies and some much bigger things. 
Yeah, maybe it's just finding that kind of niche for him. As mm-hmm. I say, you kind of don't see him as a an action star. And I, I, I genuinely don't know if I'd believe him as kind of a romantic lead. He is kind of a... Well, he's Prentice from The Crow Road. Like that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it kind of suits him. And, and his role in Small Faces as well suits him perfectly. I do remember him on Take the High Road, but I, I can't remember what his character was like, to be fair. But I, if I hear the name Joe McFadden, I instantly would think of Take the High Road. They marked him out as a bully by making him wear a black leather jacket. And I remember him stealing Dougal's son, Dougal and Morag's son's uh, pocket money off him, as I remember that, and then I, I think they killed him off when he when he they sort of changed him into a more sympathetic character later on. I think they might have killed him off, had him murdered or something like that. But uh, but yeah, the, you know, to get back to the Crow Road, you know, I think he plays the part well. I think he's you do like I said before, you do get the feeling that he's taken the time to really understand the character of Prentice. I think he's probably he was probably the perfect age to play that character because mm. he, he's he's not playing older and he's not playing younger. No, you know, he's playing pretty much the age that he was. He would be a guy that would, if he wasn't acting, would be at Glasgow University. You know. So the other issue I have with the adaptation, but again, I can see why they did it because you kind of need to for television. In the book, Prentice and Kenneth, they don't speak at all in terms of... The, they have the fishing trip and they have the argument about religion and that's it. Right. So there are quite a few scenes in the TV adaptation that they speak. So, for example, they, they're speaking over dinner about the money and why Prentice isn't cashing the checks. Yep, yeah, that doesn't happen. Kenneth shows Prentice the, the matchbooks. That doesn't happen. Prentice right. finds them after yeah. Kenneth has died. So they don't speak at all in kind of the, the modern line. Yeah, in the present. But I understand why they had to do that because you kind of can't have that in terms of the interaction. So I think the... The scenes that you have with Bill Patterson, who plays Kenneth, and Joe McFadden, they're great. I mean, Bill Patterson is fantastic in this. And mm. we had a bit of a run of Bill Patterson early on in the Swally. We did quite a few things he was in, but he hasn't appeared for quite a while. And it was just nice to see him again. Yeah. And he's really good in this role as Kenneth as well. Very believable and a really strong commanding performance as well. I mean, of all the char- of all the characters in the story, I found um, Kenneth to be the most sympathetic. You know, because he's mm. a guy, he's a guy of quite strong beliefs, and he's an interesting character because while he's at odds with his brother Hamish, and it's you know the the sort of jealousy, a little bit of perhaps light jealousy toward his younger brother who's had a book published before him, like Rory, played by Peter Capaldi, mm. and while he's just his belief system is completely at odds with his brother Hamish. That scene that you mentioned when he first shows when he shows Prentice the the matchboxes, and I think he says to Prentice, "I can't talk to you." And as he's walking away from him, uh, Prentice says something like, "Or oh, you just couldn't you just couldn't bear it that your brother is a better writer than you." And you know, and, and the way that he he can you know he, that's obviously. That'd be a terribly hurtful thing for someone to say to their father in that sort of circumstance. Mm. He's got his back to the camera. He's been filmed from the back, and like you can, you can almost see him being sort of physically wounded by that comment, mm. by just how, by just the the body language and the way the shoulders move a bit. He, he stops walking for a second. He is such a good actor, uh, Bill Patterson. Mm. He's, I think the, the most recent thing he's been in has been um, Fleabag, where he plays. Uh, 
he plays dad oh, of Fleabag, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm. again, he's he's fantastic in that. As you say, he is kind of the most sympathetic and, and kind of well-rounded character as well in terms of you know all about his story. As you say, you, you get to see the kind of range. As You see that he's jealous of Rory because Rory has published this book. and But you can see how good he is with the kids. And even you feel for him when he's telling the kids these stories and yeah. coming up with them. And then Rory appears, and all the kids just run. Yeah. Uncle Rory! You can almost feel the heart of he's never going to be yeah. as good as his kind of younger his brother. brother. And of course, he's as you say, he's odds with Hamish over the, the religious aspect and very much doesn't believe. And I think he even said, was it a big long wizard, a big wizard with long hair, something in the sky? Just to go back to that, um, to the, the, the sort of jealousy that were sort of led to believe he has of Rory, you know, you kind of get the sense that it's a jealousy that he feels quite guilty about. It's not a seething uh, jealousy, it's more a sort of, you know, the way I interpret it, he's, he's happy for his brother's success. He's, mm, yeah. he's, he's downhearted because he's not been as successful at that point. Uh, the points that we see, I mean, like that scene that you mentioned when all the kids run to Rory when he's been telling them the story, you know, that he, he's not been as successful and he, you know, he, he feels a bit jealous because of that. But then we see in the, you know, when the, when the story comes back to the present day, that he's actually a much more successful writer than Rory ever was. Mm. You know, when the scene yeah. when the scene when Prentice is in the bookshop and all these dads so all his dad's kids' books are laid out, there's a big cut out of him and everything. So he but he actually he does get what he wants, but at the same time, in the process of getting what he what he wants, he loses his brother, he loses his sister, and then he loses his mother, you know, and it feels like all within a few years of each other. And that's again the the kind of heartbreaking speech when he's in the office apprentice and he does deliver the, you know, I miss my mum, I miss Fiona, I miss Rory. It, it's kind of, as you say, he's had the success, but his, his personal life has almost kind of suffered and he's estranged from Prentice as well, effectively, because they've had a fallout about religion. I miss my mother. I miss Fiona. I wish Rory was here, but I don't pretend to be able to explain and understand everything. And that's the trick your Uncle Hamish is playing on you. He's trying to make you think that you can understand the universe. Well, you can't. It's the same trick that every religious nutter has been pulling for centuries. Leave him out of it. He's off his head. But at least he thinks there's some kind of system to everything. All right. So because you've got a system, you can come to the conclusion that there's some geezer up there with a long, flowing grey beard who's going to tell you whether or not you get off with Verity Walker. You think you're the fount of all knowledge, don't you, Dad? And he, he has that unwavering belief that Rory's not dead. Mm. You know? Oh, yeah, he firmly believes. but Rory's not dead. He fully believes it, right? And do you think that's because he's getting the, the matchbooks yeah, I every think so, so often and he thinks it's a, a sign? Well, I think so because the match the matchbook represents the great secret that they keep as boys mm. after Rory accidentally sets fire to Fergus's dad's barn with them with the book yeah. of matches. So that it sort of symbolises that secret that they've they've never shared. Like Rory has written the story and Prentice discovers it, but it's never been openly discussed until Prentice discovers mm. the story, you know. So, yeah, yeah you know, that, again, that's, I think that's obviously why he believes entirely, without question, that Rory's still alive and he's going to come back, he's going to come back one day. So, to speak about Rory, played by the wonderful 
Peter Capaldi. He he hams this up a little bit in this in places, but <laughs> does a bit. He, he is good. Um, it's very the central focus. You know, even the opening titles, it's him yeah. putting on his helmet and going off on his motorbike, and I think that's well done because that is effectively the last time he was kind of seen or or heard of, and they just don't know what happened to him. Got on his bike and buggered off. Of course, again, in the book, it's it's very much only in the flashbacks that you see Rory. He doesn't appear to Prentice as some sort of holy ghost. But I, I think you need it for the TV show. And it's quite well done mm-hmm. in the way that he is trying to to encourage Prentice to, to almost look into what happened to him, but without telling him. Yeah. And there's a lot of comical aspects of the interactions that they have, especially when Prentice ends up sleeping with his Auntie Janice. Rory's ex-girlfriend <laughs> and as he comes out of the, the flat the next morning Rory's just there and uh, just comes up and starts speaking to him Hey were you shagging my girlfriend in there? Sorry about that I should bloody well think so Is the answer in this file? I'm not down Shut your face then It's a liberty Look, I was just trying to get closer to you through her Oh yeah you are one chicken, you bastard. I totally appreciate that for the TV show, you did need that element. And it works really well. And whenever Rory appears, you are kind of like, ah, cool, uh, Rory's here. Uh, almost like the kids running to him. You kind of get excited and see what Rory's going to say now and what he's going to be doing. The the scenes, those scenes, you know, I, I agree there is a wee bit of ham in the scenes where Rory appears to Prentice. I think if we were being charitable, we could say, well, because the scenes where, the flashback scenes where we see Rory interacting with uh, Kenneth and uh, the other adult characters, Bill Patterson, um, David Robb, etc. You know, they, there's no there's no hamming <laughs> there. So you you could argue, well, maybe it's, um, maybe because it's, it's, in, it's Prentice's imagination. You know, it's it sort of represents mm. a bit of a, a, a sort of conversation he's having in his head. So it's his interpretation of his uncle Rory, who, you know, is a is a cool guy. He's a published writer when he disappears. He rides a motorbike. He's got the attractive girlfriend because he's the younger uncle. Uh, so, you you know, to be maybe if we're being being charitable to Peter Capaldi, we could, we could say that. But, you know, I, I think he's really good in this. I think he's really good, especially in the scene in those flashback scenes when he's when we see Rory starting to piece things together about the great mystery mm. that the TV show is about. Um, I think Peter Capaldi's a fantastic actor, and again, you know, I, I, I know, I mean, I know he's he's done a bit of directing as well, and but every now and again, there's a sort of a sort of Capaldi renaissance. You don't see him doing much mm. for a while, and then he turns up in something like The Thick of It and does a few years on it. Absolutely steals the show in every single. Yeah episode of the thick of it you know like nah, I love the thick of it and I and I look forward to the scenes when he comes on you know it's just brilliant that's it that's it though I mean the thick of it is a great show but you're just waiting for Malcolm Tucker yeah, to appear absolutely. and for him to absolutely rip someone to shreds <laughs> I, I mean I, I can't remember exactly what he says but when he he gives the um the opposition sort of assistant, like a bollock, and he says something like how he's gonna he's gonna rip his face off and wear it to his mum's birthday party, and then <laughs> slow dance with her to Bohemian Rhapsody or something like that. If this gets into the press, I would know that it came from you. Clever. <laughs> and I would rain down upon you so hard that you'd have to be reassembled by fucking air crash investigators. 
Do not fucking interrupt me, son, ever. Now, get this into the noggin, right? You breathe a word of this to anyone, you mincing fucking cunt! And I will tear your fucking skin off. I will wear it to your mother's birthday party and I will rub your nuts up and down her leg whilst whistling Bohemian fucking Rhapsody, right? Yeah. Now, get out of my fucking sight. Yeah. I was going to say to you, you, were, you mentioned it before, that, that opening scene uh, for the credits when we see Rory uh, getting his helmet on and setting off on his motorbike. I think the music is really evocative. Mm, yeah. You know, it sort of starts off kind of sinister, and then when we see Rory sort of driving along beside the loch, it kind of it sort of it kind of soars and becomes kind of mm-hmm. uplifting. It's I, mean, I was trying to find a little bit about who wrote the music and stuff, and I, I couldn't find it. Who wrote the original music? I need to try and find out. It was just it just interesting. I thought it was a really really good score. Oh no, I would agree. I think the the music uh, the way it's used there is is brilliant, and it, it's very you say it kind of draws you in. Yeah. As he's riding through on his bike. So I suppose the next sort of principal actor before we get on to the lovely Valerie Edmund is Paul Young, is Hamish slash Yoda McCohen. Uh, he is absolutely brilliant in this Paul Young, I think. I mean he is yeah. he has my favourite line in the in the series. He's talking about Kenneth, his brother. And it's in, it's in one of his first scenes when Prentice goes to see him and he says a lifetime of atheism and communism compounded by the purchase of a German motor car. I just thought it was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) When he's he's saying his prayers and he's not like reciting classical prayers like the Lord's Prayer or a Hail Mary. He's just like having a conversation. But then he's effectively kind of turns to God, but then seems to almost like develop into his own little religion and yeah. setting up kind of like his own little cult and it kind of goes along that way in terms of he's, he's really tipping over the edge as you say he is some of the comedic aspects um, of his performance are brilliant even the first time you see him it's his mum's funeral and he's asleep in the church it just kind of wakes up when Prentice arrives and <laughs> says hello uh, yeah it's very good and it, it was very good to see him as well in this, you say. I love the scene when they're at the New Year's Eve party at the castle. And he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's tanned a bottle of uh, Fergus's uh, 12-year-old ball already. Dispatches uh, Prentice off to find another bottle. Hey, and then that's when Prentice ended up seeing Lewis and Verity. So it was, yeah. uh, it was Hamish's fault. Maybe it was what God wanted for Prentice to see that. Yeah, so Valerie Edmund, I think I think this is a bit of a po- this might be a bit of a polarizing performance from her. What was your how did you feel about Valerie in this as Ashley? The main thing that I I thought about her was that it just kept annoying me of, you know, where have I seen her? Like I I, I feel like I've seen her in so many things. But then checking her IMDB and what she's been in, I don't think I've seen anything she's well, been she's, in. I, she's, I don't know if she looks like someone or but she's in complicity. Oh, well, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. She's in complicity. And I think I've maybe seen one or two other things. But I mean, like, more of a... Like, I feel more familiar with her than I have been, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like I've seen her in a lot more stuff than I have. I I think she delivers a great performance in this. I think she's very believable. Yeah. Um, you're tutting there. I think you're about to say something. I think she's a wee bit uneven. I could have done a, you know, I could have done a bit without the. She keeps calling Prentice son sometimes, and you know, like I think she says, oh, you should be 
the, 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 the sort of the interaction between her and her brother Darren, played by Stephen McCall, mm. which she says, here Darren, man here needs to get drunk and all this. It just it felt, those little bits just felt a wee bit too far. I, I thought it was a wee bit uneven, okay. you know. I mean, you know, I think largely she's very good in it. And she wears those uh, mid-90s girls' fashions very well, I have to say. Yeah. The uh, dress tights and Adidas combo and all that kind of thing. She looks great. Yeah, she does. I think she's. Uh, I thought she was very good. Um, I think she delivers a a performance that I would say that I did. I think is extremely believable. And yeah, I I, I really liked her in terms of uh, when she was on screen. As you say, relationship she has with her brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but and Steve McCall, not enough Steve McCallness for my no, thinking. No, um, the other change from the book as well is their other brother Darren, who they commits suicide uh-huh. in the the TV series, but in the book it's a car accident that kills him. Right. So I, I'm not sure why they went down that road of making it a suicide in the TV series. Like it, it didn't really have any further impact on anything. So why not just say it was a car accident? Just seemed a, an odd choice to change it in that way. Yeah, I, I thought at first it was maybe so they could use the the thing of Prentice and his friends all sort of symbolically destroying the car, um, so they could have to sort of lead into the conflict with. Um, Kenneth, you know, and Prentice, uh, with with Kenneth obviously thinking that they'd done a pretty meaningless thing, and Prentice feeling like they had done something quite symbolic. They could have done the same thing with a car with a car crash, I suppose, but maybe because he's supposed to have used the car to commit suicide, maybe it just made it a bit more impactful. Um, saying it, you know, I don't know, just I'm just uh, conjecture. In the book, it is a, I think he's on a motorbike and he crashes into a car. Mm. But he goes flying and he actually hits a a bin, which is what effectively kills him. Right. So in the book, they do go mob-handed and you think they're going to go to knock fuck out of the car. Right. But actually they go to where the litter bin is in the road and they smash it up and set fire to it. Okay. And the police come and then they say, what are you doing? They explain the situation. The police are like, okay, fine. Carry on. Um, it, again, in the book, it, Prentice doesn't tell his dad anything about this. He does tell his mum, yeah. but he doesn't say anything to his dad. So again, I slightly change things, but I understand why they've done that for the TV show to kind of you know move the story forward. And I guess it does give the catalyst for the argument that, that Prentice and his dad have, yeah, um, yeah. which leads them not talking. Yeah, I suppose the next so the sort of the next and sort of last kind of main cast member is um, David Robb as Uncle Fergus, the sort of right, mm. w- the kind of right wing revealed to be the the murderer uh, of Rory. And although it's never 100% confirmed, uh, the murderer of um, Auntie Fiona, you know, I think it's, it's obviously the TV show it's suggested that he's unclipped her seatbelt before uh, intentionally mm. crashing the car. There's sort of no doubt, there's, there's no doubt that he's the killer of Rory in the last few mm. scenes of the last episode. That's a good part. And I think David Robb's a, an actor that don't see like a, you know, he's, I think he's sort of like a, an actor who has worked fairly continually for years. I mean, he's a good age. He was born in 1947. But, you know, I think he, most recently in terms of high profile stuff he was in was uh, Downton Abbey, playing a doctor. Um, hmm. But yeah, he's, he's, he's popped up all over the place over the years. Not as a lead actor, um, funnily enough, more of a, su- a supporting actor, but uh, you know, I, I, guess, I guess he's essentially one of the leads in this uh, in this drama, isn't he? Yeah, I would say so. I'd put him probably maybe fourth. 
Mm. Probably, yeah, fourth yeah. or fifth, kind of in the the cast list. Yeah, I mean, he's got a big part to play, as you say. He is effectively the, the kind of main murderer in terms of the what the story is about. And as you say, although it's never confirmed, we are led to believe that he did intentionally kill his wife Fiona yeah. uh, because she he caught her having sex with Alex Norton with his glass eye, which it, he caused, you know. When yeah. it comes down to it, I think that obviously, yeah, drove a wedge in the marriage, and then they're arguing in the car, and yeah. So, as you say, we're never hundred percent sure, but I think it's heavily implied that he probably did unclip her seatbelt, yeah, and yeah, caused her to die, and then yeah, obviously Rory discovered all of this had been been happening, mm-hmm. goes up to confront him, as we see at the beginning when he's putting his helmet on and driving up. That's that's obviously where he's off to, yeah, and then he ends up getting his head stoved in with a paperweight. <laughs> does um and when the the scene that when rory's body is lifted out of the loch and he's chained to his motorbike and everything i found that quite jarring and if, if mm. for some reason you know i mean i don't know maybe it's because of the kind of journey the tv show takes you to get to that point you know but when you but they the sort of the model that the that the tv show have made with the motorbike and the sort of skeleton the chains and everything and after seeing Rory in the flashback scenes and seeing him in the scenes where he's having the conversation with Prentice where Prentice is imagining the conversation it was quite jarring I thought yeah I think it's the the sight of the the clothes kind of loosely yeah. hanging yeah uh, you know there's a decomposed body in there and I think it's even the you know the, the leather is going into the boots it, yeah it, yeah yeah it was quite a, a strong image that yeah instantly makes you think oh no oh that is Rory oh well because I would imagine as a viewer if you haven't read the book before and you don't know anything about it then you are you are kind of maybe thinking well is Rory dead or is it going to pop up at the end I don't know that's a good point because then you would think if he's coming to Prentice as a vision then Mm. surely you would think well he's obviously dead and he's coming back as a ghost I don't know that's interesting I would. Uh, I'd be interested to find out what someone who's who's never read the book or has just watched this TV show for the first time actually thought in terms of that. I didn't have time to watch it with my wife, but uh, no, I should have done. But she would have probably spotted it straight away. Yeah, I didn't have to. Yeah, my wife wasn't that interested in watching it, so. Um. <laughs> So I just watched it on my own. Um, now, you mentioned it before when we were talking about Fergus. Um, flashback scenes to the young uh, Kenneth, Rory, Lachlan and Fergus. Now, I know they're just wee boys, right? But the wee boy that plays Fer- the young Fergus and the wee boy who plays Kenneth, they are fucking dreadful mm. actors, especially Fergus. <laughs> I mean, they are terrible. Get out of my house, Lachlan, what? You're so rude. It's like he's it's like he's reading it off a you know off something right in front of him and not reading it all that well. The the wee boy that plays Lachlan is good, you know? I'm I'm glad you said that because I was gonna say I think the, the guy that plays Lachlan, the kid, he's yeah. brilliant. He's good. Um, he is, he's when good, he's calling yeah. Fergus a, he's calling Fergus a snobby jobby <laughs> and stuff like <laughs> That made me laugh quite a lot. And what was it? Yeah, it, as you say, Fergus is like, get out of my castle. And the, the wee kid playing Lachlan going, your castle's a shithole, <laughs> you snobby jobby. I just love the fact, right, that, you know, that we know that Lachlan comes from, you know, his dad works in the in the glassworks and he, and he comes from mm. a kind of poorer family. They, maybe I think all the families are poorer compared to, to, to the Urvals, obviously. But um, he comes out of this house... 
you know, like he, he's had all this cake and stuff, and he's like, oh, that was great. You kind of get full in my house. And then rather than be sort of grateful for being asked in, being shown a bit of hospitality, he just starts, like, ripping the arse out of Fergus. And Ferg- Fergus's museum that he's got in his little case, oh, that's a fossilised pear. Kenneth, sure that's a fossilised pear. I don't know. <laughs> um, obviously, that scene, as funny as it is, ends horrifically when uh, and I guess that's you know that's perhaps a wee clue to Fergus's the older Fergus's complicity how he can snap you know what I mean even as a wee boy he loses his patience he smashes mm. Lachlan's face into the glass causing him to lose his eye he loses his patience with Fiona when she's berating him in the car so she he unfastens the seatbelt she's obviously scared of him as well and then um and then obviously commits out-and-out murder um, with Rory, you know. Yeah, very true. I hadn't thought about that in terms of putting the connection together of the the younger, seeing him snapping and losing his patience. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. Yeah, um, Yeah. again, that's quite a, an uncomfortable scene when you're seeing the, the kid clutching his eye with blood pouring out. You're like, oh yeah, fuck it. That's just, uh, that's one of my worst nightmares. You know, something happening to an eye or something. Oh, gives Did me a shiver. Did you see uh, our old pal, Mr. Costello, popping up there? You know, uh, Steve the Bookie from Still Game. He pops up and... He get, he I get, certainly he, did. He gets a wee line. I mean, that's a career that bears some some uh, investigating in later episodes because he is in the the episode of Taggart, the, se- the, the, the serial of Taggart that um, James Cosmo's in, like one of the really early ones. You know what I mean? He, mm. he sort of pops up, he has, you know, he's, he did that, I guess, with 1985, 1986, and then he gets like one line <laughs> in the Crow Road, and then, you know, we don't really see him again in anything uh, regular until he pops up in Still Game. And I think I said uh, on one another episode of the one of the older episodes of the Culture Swally, I took my daughter to see Wonder Woman 1984, and he fucking pops up in that. Yeah, you're right. We do need to maybe delve into that. I'm going to have to have a look, actually. Maybe one of my next picks will be a, a Matt Costello vehicle yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that he's, he's popped up on. There was a, a couple other wee things that uh, made me laugh. When Hamish is given the like Kenneth and Janice and um, Elizabeth and Rory the tour of the Glassworks, and he shows him the, the stained glass window that he's had made for the church in Eust. And it's basically Jesus McChrist. <laughs> you know, did, uh, did they have a lot of tartan in, in uh, Galilee? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, very nicely done that they didn't actually show it to us. I guess the production values couldn't go to actually creating something like that. But it was it was nice that you just kind of got the... The actual effect of it there. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I would ask, do you think this could be trimmed down slightly? Because it does kind of, not so much drag in places, but there's quite a lot happens maybe in the first couple of episodes. And then like maybe episode three and four, it's it's, it's not a huge amount, really. It does drag a little bit. I guess they had a four-part series commissioned and they had to maybe just fill it up, but it could have been trimmed maybe a little bit. I think if this was made now, you know, if like Amazon or Netflix or someone like that were to make it, they could stretch it into like sort of 10 episodes, I think. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, for this one, you know, I you and I have spoken about it before. As much as there's been some like brilliant um, television drama in the last sort of five or 10 years on these streaming services, things like sort of Stranger Things and Narcos and 
fucking loads and loads and loads. I sometimes think that the story can slow down, you know, like, I, I don't mind a flashback scene or flash, even flashback scenes in a drama. I hate it when there's like a whole episode that, sh- that slows down the narrative for a whole mm. episode of exposition through a flashback. I, I, I just, I've never really been a fan of that. I think with this one, I don't know, I was sort of in for it because I knew it was only four episodes. I think the fact that, like, all the actors, pretty much, with the possible exception of Dougray Scott, but he's not in it that much. You know, they, it's it's a pleasure watching them, especially guys like Bill Patterson and Peter Capaldi. And even uh, Gudrun uh, Ewer, um, I know she's not in it very much, as Margot. You know, mm. she's only she's got that big scene with um, Apprentice when they're up the tree and then she takes them to let her see her old car and everything. You know, they, they're all... It's, and Paul Young, you know, it's great watching them. And I think it was probably quite a hard one. You know, for all the reasons that you've mentioned when you've been talking about some of the differences between the book and the TV show, I guess it was quite a hard book to, to dramatise because you do need a lot of flashbacks mm. to kind of build the mystery. Yeah. You know, so I, I, you know, I agree with you. I, I think they probably didn't get it right. I think, I think probably episode one and episode four are probably the strongest episodes. I think you're right. Two and three, you know, it slows down maybe a wee bit too much in parts. But I think the other thing that I think maybe saves it is the is the stunning scenery and the setting. You know, up there mm. in Argyle and Butte and Tarbert and stuff. I mean, it, I've got, I must say, I, it did make me feel a wee bit homesick watching it because it's been a while since. I mean, I've been back in Scotland uh, not that long ago, but it's been a long time since I've been out in that sort of countryside. You know, that sort of fresh air and around the lochs and everything. And um, but yeah, I think I, th- I think you're right. I think the pacing does stumble a wee bit. I think, you know, the scenes with uh, Prentice's flatmate, Gavin, and then his mates when they're all round for New Year and all that kind of thing. You know, like, I don't think, you know, I think he, they're sort of twats. <laughs> Those guys, you know, like, yeah. he's, he's flatmate Gavin isn't too bad, but the other guys that are, you know, are around that are arseholes, you think, well, why would you be friends with someone like that, you know? I agree. I think there's little bits you could have trimmed. And do you think that they spend three, uh, let's say three hours, 50 minutes building up this whole mystery of what happened to Rory? And the book's kind of the same, but it's, it's a bit of an anticlimax at the end. Yeah. I know it is and it isn't, but it's kind of just like, oh yeah, well, he's been in there for the last eight years all this time. Oh yeah. well, okay, never mind. Right, on to the next thing. Oh, I'm just going to go and drive my Bentley. It's it's a little bit anticlimactic, I think. And I think as well, the other problem is it sort of sprints to the end a wee bit. You know what I mean? So the climax, mm. you, you have the scene where Fergus comes to try and steal the evidence from the house that Prentice finds himself renting. And they have that kind of fight and Fergus runs away. And then, you know, it's just Fergus basically commits suicide in his plane on purpose. Prentice gets a Bentley, that you say, you know. You're never sure, though. I think it's the same as the book. Like, because it does say the plane kind of aimlessly mm. floats into the sea. So, I don't know. My interpretation, it was the same as the book, is, okay, did he commit suicide? Or, genuinely, never know, maybe, like, due to all the stress and stuff, did he have, yeah. like, a heart attack? And then just, yeah, coped in. Don't yeah. know. Possibly. It's an odd thing. Yeah. I, I, I do like the wee touch when, um, when Prentice finds out that Fergus has left him his car and he sort of looks underneath it <laughs> like it's going to be a bomb or something in his car. <laughs> <laughs> underneath this Bentley. Um, before he finds the, the murder weapon. But yeah, it just felt a wee bit like, we need to finish this off now. You know, I and, and um, yeah. 
it's to your point, it's all a bit it's a bit underwhelming the the conclusion. Now, did you catch this? And is this a saying that I just just had to wonder? Prentice obviously is in love with Verity. She ends up marrying his his brother, Lewis, the shite stand-up comedian. So Prentice effectively takes his second option, Ashley. Which, you know, it's a good option. She's a very lovely girl. She obviously, you know, cares for him and loves him. They finally get together and have sex. And then the next morning, Prentice is in bed and Ashley comes through and she asks him how he is. And he says, I'm all right. How are you? And does she say the words top hole? (laughs) (laughs) All right, lover man. Yeah. Top hole. But I gotta go. Where? I mean, that's an empowered mid-90s woman right there. Um, yeah. She does. I, I rewind she it three does. times. She says, top hole. <laughs> now, <laughs> d- does that mean something else? Or does it mean what I think it means? <laughs> like... uh, in the absence of any alternatives that spring to mind, I can only assume it means what you think it means. Okay then, let's move on. Um, <laughs> so. I, mean, I mean, you know, this is like the height of the Spice Girls, girl power, perfectly within her rights to say something as crass as that. <laughs> to a guy she just top with. hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then surely it, she would say top cock or something, wouldn't he? Or top pole? She's not going to say, "Oh, that was some top hole last night." <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, you and I both come from a generation where a number of, in hindsight, regrettable phrases concerning sex were either invented or used. I can honestly say with my hand on my heart that when I was younger, I never ever said something like, I hope I get my hole when we go out tonight, or, oh, I got my hole last night. But that's not to say that lots of people that I knew would say that. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I couldn't say it because I was disgusted by it. I just never said it. I probably just wasn't... I probably never got my hole. So I never never had occasion to say it, right? But but those people... But I don't remember any girls saying it. I remember a lot of boys saying it. Yeah, that's that's why it struck me as weird. And that's why it stood out to me so much. Like, genuinely, I can remember men saying it, oh, didn't you get your hole last night type thing. Very disgusting. Don't agree with that. But it just took me out of, it just took me by surprise when (laughs) she's just like, oh, top hole. I I need to stop saying it. Sorry. Okay. Um, um, Yeah. Anything else? I mean, in terms of the cruel road, I mean, overall, did you enjoy this? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it actually. I had to kind of beast the last two episodes because I just I was busy last week and I, I watched the first episode on I think Sunday night and then I watched the second episode on the uh, Tuesday, thinking right I'll I'll watch the other one tomorrow night. Blah blah. blah and I'll have it all watched by the end of the week. I can go back and watch some bits and bobs over the weekend if I need to before we record. Didn't work out that way, so I basically had to beast through the last two episodes yesterday. As anticlimactic as the kind of resolution is, I enjoyed the mystery. I enjoy, you know, I enjoyed Prentice kind of putting it all together in the flashbacks, and uh, I, I obviously knew, I knew, I knew who the 
culprit was and I knew what happened to Rory. But I, I enjoyed all that. I think the reason I enjoyed it the most is because it just made me really nostalgic for like that time in the mid-90s when I was, you know, just, just about to turn 18 or just turned 18 and left school and sort of starting college and leaving home and everything and the music and uh, over the time and all that kind of thing. Yeah, just it, it was a nice little warm, nostalgic cuddle. Yeah, the the amount of Britpop kind of tunes that they use Mm -hmm. in the soundtrack is phenomenal. And it does kind of take you back to to that era. Um, Even Prentice's Nirvana t-shirt that he wears (laughs) to Super Grand's funeral. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of dripping in 90s. The posters that he has up, that you see in Prentice's bedroom when he goes, you know, after Kenneth passes away and he goes, he's back staying in his mm-hmm. own room and the, 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 he's got a, he's got a Nirvana poster up in the wall as well. That I remember seeing that poster everywhere. I never, ever had it. And I was a big Nirvana fan, but I never bought it. But I remember seeing it in the old, um, when you used to go to Woolworths or somewhere and they had the posters and the plastic frames and you could skim through them. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It sounds like you enjoyed it as well, despite some of your misgivings. With the differences between the book and the TV show, I did. I'm. I mean, I'm purely pointing out the differences. And to be honest, it's because I read the book. You know, yeah. the week before I watched this, had I not reread the book recently, I probably wouldn't have noticed anything. I, I wouldn't say there were misgivings as such. I think it's just the differences. But I can appreciate why they had to do them for the TV show because it makes more sense. The fact that Prentice and Kenneth don't speak in the book. You can't have Joseph McFadden and Bill Patterson not interacting. So it it doesn't make sense. So I understand why they did that. Having Rory effectively come to Prentice as a vision, I can understand them doing that as well because he gets to tell a story and and it gives Prentice some other interaction. Because otherwise you're just going to have Prentice having a voiceover Mm -hmm. as he's working things out. So you kind of need that interaction with Rory there. And it gives Capaldi something else to do as well. The only thing I didn't like is his relationship with Verity in terms of he's too close to her. And and again, the fact that he is telling everyone that he's in love with her and his brother is well aware that he is in love with this woman when he then goes and effectively takes her away. I'll be honest, I don't have a brother, but, you know, even a mate, if it was Verity, I probably would. I'd be like, oh, fuck it. I don't care if you're in love with her. She she fancies me, so <laughs> I'm going to yeah. I'm gonna take her and knock her up. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so, the- yeah, that was the only... And, I, again, the, the, uh, the matchbook thing, Kenneth giving Prentice the matchbook sort of thing, you know, Prentice's cover is on his own. However, you know, that takes up, like, a whole chapter, effectively, of him finding these and looking through and making the, the logical discovery that it was Rupert Paxton Marr that was sending them. It makes a lot more sense for literally Kenneth to just be like here I've been getting these matchbooks every month since Rory disappeared then it you know that saves 20 minutes or so of exposition anyway but yes I enjoyed it so we, we think it was the guy Rupert that was definitely sending the matchbooks or do we think it would or do we think it was Fergus because it's never really 100% confirmed is it um no it is in the book effectively I think because that's the whole point of the the story Ashley tells about meeting Paxton Mar in a hotel in Berlin I think in that month um, Kenneth receives a matchbook from a hotel in Berlin mm-hmm. and then when you see him on the TV the, the clip that Ashley keeps showing it's it, he's in Sarajevo and then of course a few weeks later a matchbook comes from Sarajevo so it's yeah it's definitely Fergus has definitely asked 
Paxton Marr to send these matchbooks to Kenneth. Okay, cool. All right, so do you think it's time to put the Crow Road through our, our categories and awards, if you like? Why not? Let's do it. Some were very easy this month, and some were this month, uh, this episode, and some were a little more tricky. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to, to think on some of these. So let's start then with the Ewan McGee. Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. Well, of course, each episode it's changing. So I had the um, the the woman on the advert of amply putting on the sunscreen onto her bosom. And then all of a sudden, with like 10 minutes left to go of the series, you get to see Ashley and Prentice enjoying some top hole. So I have put that scene as my gratuitous nudity, Ashley's top hole. I may have to, so the next time my wife and I are intimate, I might just say afterwards, that was top hole, and see how she reacts, and then explain, you know, when I'm picking my teeth up off the bedroom floor, why I was asking, um, just to, you know, see if that was something that uh, was acceptable. I suspect it probably won't be. I I had two for this. I I had... um, Auntie Fiona uh, riding Alex Norton slash Lachlan. Yes. It was top down. Uh, a bit, a bit mm-hmm. gratuitous there. I had the the Ashley Prent- and Prentice sex scene, which I've got to say, you know, not a very, a bit of an awkward sort of kind of coupling there. You know, like, you're supposed to believe that Ashley's been carrying this candle for Prentice all this time. Prentice discovers actually it's Ashley that I'm in love with. And then they sort of it's like they're having a game of Twister. <laughs> I, I seem to remember at the time that, that this was like massive news in terms of the, I think it's because it was probably Joseph McFadden from Take the High Road and yeah, yeah. you know saucy sex saucy. scenes on the BBC <laughs> on a Sunday evening. It's outrageous. Yeah, I see what you mean. They're having a bit of a, a game of Twister in the bedroom. <laughs> Yeah. So slamming their <laughs> genitals together. That's top hole. This is the hard one. The James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. There's a few people that that can go into the categories here. Mm. I think. So Who I had go for. I had Alex Norton and I had Matt Costello. Did you have any, did you have anybody different? Paul Young. Paul Young, yeah, of course, yeah. I had I had Norton because instantly I put Norton down forever. If Norton's in something, it, yeah, he's won in the award. However, on. I did have a look on IMDb and Paul Young has he's got more acting credits than Norton, but he's yeah. also pretty much consistently Scott. Yeah. Norton's yeah. had a few things south of the border and stuff, but yeah, I I went with Paul Young. Does but Costello is a good shout as well because he's probably been in a lot of things, but just maybe fleeting yeah. you know, one line as he had in this, for example. What did you have for your Jake McQuillan T-Zoot? Um, what's your flat category? Uh, it's got to be Fergus smashing yeah. Laughlin's face into the glass case. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot of violence in it really because we don't see Fergus killing Rory. Um, we don't really we don't see him kind of sort of contriving to murder Fiona either. Um, and even the scuffle between um, Fergus and Prentice when Prentice, when Fergus breaks yeah. into the house, you don't really see it. It's all, cause it's all in the dark, you know? Nah, um, that's the only really other thing. So, yeah, that was that was kind of all I had to really go with. And it is the teasy, like... Yeah, well and truly, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the Francis Begbie Award for Swearing. I've got to be honest, I couldn't 
really find anything. I can't really think of anything for this one. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I had a couple. I had to go with, and again, it's the same as the T-Zoot Award. Um, it's the, the line that leads to the T-Zoot, and it's, right. Ah, fuck off, darling. I don't know. Bloody idiot. Picking up bits of bones and sticking them in a cabinet. Darling. Right. Get out of my house. Go on. Ah, fuck off, darling. Fossilised pear. What a wanker. I hate you, I forgot about that. I think because I was because it's kind of shocking what happens immediately afterwards. I, I, I slipped my mind, but yeah, that's brilliant. What a wanker! What archetypal Scottish moment. Uh, now, what did you go for in this one? I had, I had a couple down, but there's one overall winner has to be. I got a few. I mean, I've got New Year's Eve at the castle. It feels archetypically Scottish but then also uh, Lewis and Verity's wedding at the castle uh, all mm-hmm. you know, both quite Scottish everybody being a smoker seemed quite Scottish oh, yeah. for the mid 2000s yeah. I've got to be honest as a as, as, as a recovering uh, nicotine addict it fucking really made me want to have a, really made me want to go and have a couple of fags in the garden they were uh, I, I enjoyed seeing the, the sort of classic can of tenants in an early scene mm-hmm. in episode one the old classic kind of sky blue can with the yeah. drawing of the glasses of agar on there. What did you have? After the New Year's party and oh, Prentice has been sleeping in the car, Kenneth comes in and gives him a glass bottle of iron brew yeah, for his that's hangover. A, that's a great one. If you had been at odds with your father, like Prentice, for a long time and then he came in when you were struggling with a hangover after sleeping in the back of a car, causing a scene. And I I was going to say to you, actually, I like the fact that they didn't show Prentice making the speech. Yeah. They just alluded to it. I think it works works better. They don't in the book either. Like, that that scene isn't detailed in the book. It's basically Prentice just like, he's like, he effectively sees Verity kissing uh, Lewis, then he, he gets the bottle of whiskey. Uh-huh. that he's been tasked to go and get, and then he just fucks off and downs it, and then the next chapter is the next morning. So yeah. it's it's very true to the book in that way. Sorry to interrupt, though, but I know exactly what you're saying. Yes, I would I would make up with my estranged father, yeah, if he brought me a bottle of Iron Brew, and if, if he brought me a, like a bacon roll or something as well, then that would be extra bonus points there. And then I, I, think that, I think this is genuinely quite a difficult one because there's so many good performances in it but who would you give the Sean Connery who got to go home and fuck the prom queen award for winning the production I still don't know I've got three names down on my list and I, I still don't know my I'm gonna go with my instinct on this one it's what I thought when I watched it I think Capaldi does a great job yeah. and but he does ham it up a little bit in terms of thing I think McFadden is fantastic yeah. In this as well, he's really believable. He is really good. Now I am tempted to give it to him actually. Yeah, but it's Bill Patterson. Bill Patterson kind of steals this for me. Yeah, I, I just think he, think he delivers such a good performance, and he's he's so believable. And as you say, it's a perfect example of the his acting, as you said earlier, when yeah. he's got his back to the camera, but you can just tell that that was like a dagger blow of, yeah. of what Prentice has said to him. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Patterson. Yeah. What about yourself? I was with Patterson as well. I mean, I think there's, I think, you know, I think Joe Mc, Joe, I agree with you. I think Joe McFadden's really good. I think, I think Peter Capaldi's great in it as well. I don't think that he's in it enough to steal the show, uh, Capaldi, to be honest. I think, you know, I think Paul Young is brilliant 
is Hamish. And you know, mm. there's, a, there's an argument to say that he steals a lot of the scenes, especially the scenes that he shares with uh, Joe McFadden and they, the relationship with him and uh, Claire Nelson, who plays his wife and everything's really good. But yeah, I, I would give it to Bill Patterson as well. I think he's such a good actor. You know, like everything, all the sort of kind of conjecture and stuff that I was mentioning before about how they, you know, he gives the impression that he's not that he's that he's sort of guilty about any jealousy that he feels for Rory's success, and you know, he's a guy just trying to do the best, even though for his son, even though he's at odds with his son and he's strong and the relationship is fraught, you know, he still wants to support him and, you know, the, 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 the guilt, the obvious guilt that he feels for being at odds with Prentice, but his principles just won't let him sort of back mm. down, if you like. Exa- yeah. and, you know, exactly the same way as uh, Prentice's principles won't let him back down, even though you get the feeling that they both know that it's a really futile thing to have fallen out about, you know? Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so Bill Patterson so, gets the Sean yeah. Connery Award this week. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I suppose we did this episode uh, because we know, like, obviously, our, I guess our number one fan on Instagram, uh, Strong Henry. We know that he's a big fan of Ian Banks, and that sort of informed your decision to uh, to pick the Crow Road this week. So we hope you enjoyed it, Henry. Um, so yeah, the Crow Road. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. No, I really enjoyed watching this again, and I enjoyed reading the book again. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really happy, and that's one of the the reasons that for me I think we do this so that we can go back and revisit stuff like this because yeah. I would never have rewatched The Crow Road again, like realistically, apart from doing this. So I'm, I was really uh, really pleased to be able to watch it. So that was my choice, uh, inspired by Henry, of course. Uh, so yeah. It's your choice next time, Greg. So what are we going to be looking at on the next episode of The Swally? Well, so I quite like it when we watch something that neither of us have watched before, which is, I guess, the complete opposite of um, of this week, where it's something that we both watched before. Yeah. Now, the second series, I think, has just finished on the BBC. I know that it was very well received when it came out, the first series. So I would like to watch 2019's four-part drama Guilt. You haven't watched it, have you? No, I haven't. It, it's been on my list and I know that the, the second part, second series just uh, finished as well. So, no, it's been something that's been on my list and, of course, written by Neil Forsyth, who uh, exactly. wrote Bob Servant. Yeah, so, oh, fantastic. That was a big favour on the old socials and the old downloads um, a few months ago as well. So Certainly did. Oh, great. No, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, actually, because it's been something that's been on my list to watch for a while and it's one of those things that I thought, oh, should I watch it? Because then if we do it for the Swally, then yeah. I can kind of like, oh yeah, I watched it two months ago. Okay, fantastic. Well, look forward to that. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can. You can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod, or you can follow us on Twitter at Swally Pod. And if there's anything you would like us to look at and review, or if you've seen any news stories from around Scotland that you think are amusing and you'd like to hear us discuss, then you can get in touch with us on cultureswally at gmail.com. And please feel free to leave us a little rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. It really does help the pod grow. And Greg, we have a website as well. We do have a website. You can find us at cultureswallyblog.com. 
where you can find links to all the episodes, including this one, and uh, some links to some of our favourite stories that we've reviewed uh, in the last year and almost a half of recording the Culture Swally, uh, and also our Swally Tally, which uh, details the appear- how many appearances uh, the all our Scottish actors have made and the things that we've um, that we've reviewed. So come and visit us there. I need to update that actually because this is going to have a, a big impact in terms <laughs> of the the Crow Road. So I'm going to uh, I'll do that this week and update the Swally Tally and send it to you so we can get it on the website and put it on our socials. Fantastic. Uh, right. Well, I can't wait to hear what happens when Greg tells his wife about Top Hole. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Right. All right. Um, Till next time, Greg. Yep. If I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy. CR. Stands for Crow Road. Look, away the Crow Road. What? It's a saying. My gran would use it if someone died. She'd say, he's away the Crow Road. You know, dead. Have you never heard that? No, no, I never knew that. I always thought, I thought it meant something else. Anyway, take it and have a look. I want it back, mind. Bye.